Thanks, Natalie. Well, good morning and welcome to church. I want to add my welcome to Andrews. My name is Rowan, uh, one of the pastors here. As we get into this part of the Bible, we get to see an amazing picture Paul paints for us of what it practically looks like to live recognizing what Jesus has done. So why don't we pray together as we open up and think through what God has to say to us today. Let's pray. Lord God, we come from all different spaces in our minds and our lives. We come together today to have heard you speak in your word. And so we ask that by your spirit, as, as we listen to your word and go over it together and, and think through it, that you would, you would encourage us with the great joy it is to serve you, that you would convict us of where we ought to change, and you might change us to be more and more like your son. We ask, Lord, please, by your spirit, shape us this morning. Pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, humanity has been captivated by the stars since the beginning of time. We've looked at the stars to guide us in how we kind of navigate to places and what we do. We've been amazed at the stars. We've painted pictures of the stars. People shape their lives around the stars. And if uh, the stars in the sky aren't what grabs our attention, humanity have been captured by the heroes of humanity, the stars on the world stage. Well, that'd be sports stars like Michael Jordan or rock stars or business barons, humanitarian heroes. We're... We, drawn to people that seem to shine, that seem to pop their head above the crowd. Uh, they're people that stand out against the average person. And, and today, none of us really want to be average. Like, average has become such a negative word. Oh, that was just an average day. It actually means it's kind of middle, middle ground day, you know? It wasn't too bad, it wasn't awesome. It's somewhere there. It's interesting, the word mediocre has got in a, you know, um, it's, oh, mental blank on the word. Um, Median, thank you, there it is, you know, which is the middle number. Uh, and we go, oh, that was a mediocre thing. It literally means, I looked it up, of only average quality, not very good. We, we don't want to be average, we want to be people that stand out. But we don't all want to stand out on the world stage. It might not be on a global stage or even a national stage, but we do want to stand out. We want to be a star in our marriages, don't we? In our places of work and in our families. Stars in what we know and what we've accomplished. We actually want to do good things. And this morning as we get to this section of the Bible, Paul is going to show us and help us to think through how we as Christians might stand out as stars in the universe. He's just described to us the reality of the future and helped us to think that if we know the future, it will change the way we live in the present. We heard these words just last week, Philippians 2.10. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The picture that he painted is this. Jesus is king. He is king now. And the future is that he's coming back to rule over the whole world, to run the world perfectly. No more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. Where every person who has ever lived will be raised to life. And he tells us, Paul tells us that every knee that has been made or ever will be made will bow, will recognize Jesus is King. And every tongue will confess that He is Lord, He is God, He is ruler over all. And those who've trusted Jesus before He has come back, bowing their knee with great joy and gladness, singing with praise at the goodness of God, will be with Him, will be alongside Him, and will stand and say, yes, I bow my knee willingly, you are my King and those that haven't trusted Him will, will still bow the knee, they will still confess, but the future will not be glad. An eternity of regret under the right judgment of God. 
It's that future, Paul says, that radically shapes how you and I live today and tomorrow and the next day. It must shape us. His aim for the Philippian church and for you and me today is to show us how in a world full of darkness we can shine like stars. That's the first point today, shining like stars. Paul says in Philippians 2 that the way we're to think about living and shining as stars in our world is to respond in obedience. Look at 2 verse 12, Philippians 2 12. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Given that you know what the future is, Philippian church, People here gathered today at AV, given you know that Jesus will come back and He is Lord and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, remember that future. Remember the future you trusted in, Paul says to the Philippians, when I told you about Jesus, the future you look forward to, the future that changed everything for you. Keep living your life in light of that future. Work out your salvation, he says, in fear and trembling. Now, he's not saying that we need to be scared of our salvation. We need to be scared of God. It's not saying, whoa, I do it because I'm, I'm, I'm so scared about it. It's more like a, a right and reverent respect for the reality of the future, for the gravity of who Jesus is and what he's done, and that actually shaping how I live. It's so easy to kind of go along in life and be like, oh, Jesus, yeah, yeah, that Christian stuff, yeah, yeah. I've heard this before. What is this? Jesus is king. He will come back as king. So Paul is saying to the Philippian church and us, live in light of that, with, with, with fear and trembling, a, a reverence and a respect. It's kind of, I think, it's a little bit like a reverence and respect you ought to have going into marriage. Now, maybe there are some reasons to be scared of marriage. Let's just be honest. You're like, oh, what will this person be like in 10 years' time? What will I be like in 10 years' time? And marriage doesn't always end well. It's hard. But you don't go into marriage kind of flippantly, half-heartedly. You know, fly off to Vegas, where you can't at the moment, but, you know, and get a quick, and then just zip through and be like, oh, yeah, we'll do this thing. Hey, how about you? Yeah, sure, let's go. Off you go. No, please don't do that. (laughs) You you think through, there's a new family unit starting here. This is supposed to be for life. On your wedding day, you might be trembling, thinking, oh, is the groom here? (laughs) Will the bride come? I don't know. You might be, wow, the weight of the moment. You're not scared of them. I mean, you're dressed up, looking pretty. It's all great. You're not like, oh, who's this? Get away from me as they walk down the aisle. But there's a reverence and a respect for what this is starting. You're thinking of the gravity of what's going on. If that's the way we think about marriage, (laughs) and imagine how we think about the one who is coming. The reverence and respect for the creator of the universe, who is king now, who's been so humble to lay down his life for us. The one and only king and creator of the universe, that he's coming back. He's not someone to be mucked around with. Don't flirt with this truth. Try it out for a bit. Don't kind of go, ah, what do you reckon? Be ambivalent toward it. Live in light of what Jesus has done, in light of the future, with fear and trembling, with respect and and honour. The reality of the future is something that we need to live in response to. It's something that we need to work at. We actually need to keep working at, keep thinking through, because we so easily kind of move our eyes away from what Jesus is doing and when he comes back. We need to keep working at it, not in order to obtain it. No, Jesus has already died in our place. He's paid the price for us. It is done for us. But we have to keep bringing it to our minds and living in line with that word. 
See, that's how Paul tells us we are to shine like stars. Look at the second half of verse 15. Shine like stars in the world, Paul says, by holding firm to the word of life. We work at at living with fear and respect and trembling in our world by working at living as stars in our world. We work hard to hold firm to the Word of God, to let His Word shape the way we think and live and breathe. It is the Word of God that shapes how we view life, isn't it? It shapes and molds us, and He, he by His Spirit, convicts us and changes us to be more like His Son and to, to look at the world through God's eyes rather than our eyes or the way of the world around us. We can't just think that we can just sit in God's world and by osmosis we'll be made more like Jesus. And how easy that would be. You just kind of go, yep, all right, change me. And off you go. I'd love that. It'd be great. Um, But, you know, it's it's the same sort of thing as thinking about, I'm going to get fit. I've decided to get fit. And so you sit there going, get fit, get fit, get fit. And you might get like really big eyebrow muscles from the scrunched face. You actually need to cooperate with that. Now, it's coming to the Word of God that shapes our view of the world and helps us to live in God's world, His way to shine like stars in His world. It's coming to the refreshing Word of God, to go, that's right, He is King, His promises are good. The convicting Word of God, that shows us where we're not living in line with who we are as, as His people, with Jesus being King. It's the, the challenging Word of God, to go, wow, I need to remember He is in control, not me. The comforting Word of God, that I get to remember that He is in control and not me. It's in the Word of God that we meet Jesus. We see what He has done and the way that He shapes everything we do and say. Paul says to this Philippian church and to us today, if you want to shine in this world, if you want to live in response to the future, you need to hold firm to the Word of God. But I need to give you a warning here. Paul's not just saying that if if you read the Word of God, your life will shine. It's not like a magic book that you read it and you're like, oh, ding, suddenly my life shines. There's plenty of people that know the Bible, that can tell you the story of it, but they haven't applied it to their life. They haven't worked with God and, and, and let God's Word mold and shape their lives. A couple of years ago, um, I had the opportunity to do a master's subject in Israel on the backgrounds of uh, the archaeological backgrounds of Christianity. And one, our tour guide uh, was a, an, a Jew who was an atheist. So an atheist, he'd grown up in Israel, he, he spoke Hebrew. The story of the Old Testament Scriptures was the story of his people. And what kind of challenged me about this guy, he was a great guy, I loved him, excellent guy to be with, um, was that he knew his Old Testament better than I did, better than the other pastors at this master's subject level, better than the, the two Christian lecturers, professors from the Bible college. Like he'd quote, what does it say this in 2 Kings? And he'd be like, oh, I don't know, he's like 2 Kings 7 verse 10. And he just knew it. He just had the whole kind of Old Testament, it seemed, memorized, and he talked through what it was in Hebrew, because that's his native tongue, so of course he knew the Hebrew, and it's what he speaks normally. He just knew the Word of God, but he didn't believe the Word of God. It didn't shape his life. A number of reasons we, we chatted with him, and great God, it just, he couldn't say, yeah, I'm going to let it shape me. I think God isn't who the Bible says He is. I think I have a better view of God than these people do. Being in the Word is not a guarantee that your life will shine. But if you're not in the Word, I guarantee you, you won't shine like stars in the world. See, being in the world isn't a guarantee your life will shine. But if you're not in it, you will not shine like stars in the world, for you will look 
just like the world around you. And it's worth pausing for a second and asking, how is the reality that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, how is that reality of the future affected my present, affected this week? Has that shaped the way I've lived? Or am I hearing it and then going on forgetting it? How are we living to let God's word work and shape and mold us to work with God as he works with us and in us? Is there a reverent fear and trembling, a respect and honor for what we're working for and toward? Is there a joy, a commitment, a discipline to let God's word mold and shape you? It's hard. We've got to work at it. I struggle some days to go, oh, I don't feel like reading the Word of God. I just want to be... Just, I've got other important things to do, like tell people about Jesus. And you're like, wow, Rowan. We need to prayerfully ask God to mold and shape us to be more like Jesus because of the future affecting our present. Do notice verse 13. It is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to His good purpose. As we read His Word, yes, we work, but so does God. By His Spirit, He, he, he moulds us to be more like Jesus. And that's been my experience as I've opened up the Word of God. As I've let it shape and mould me, as, as I read the Word, as I hear it preached, as I preach it to myself, as I discuss it with others, God pokes me. Does He do that to you? You kind of read it and you're like, oh, you got me there. Yep, that's, I need to think about that. This passage did this to me this week. He, he, he sometimes comforts me with his trustworthiness. I read about his promises and how he keeps them no matter what, even with a rebellious and sinful generation of Israel and a rebellious and sinful person like me. That God still keeps his promises. He convicts us of our sin. He, he refocuses us and, and redirects my heart and my mind. He rekindles my affection for Him and for his, his work in the world and for His people. As you read the Word of God, He shapes and moulds us. He works in us to be more like Jesus, to shine like stars in the world. Now, sometimes I find we get caught up in two sides of thinking. We think, look, it's, it's all God and I do nothing. And other times we go, well, it's all me, I'm just going to do it all and God will come along for the ride. But both here are doing the work. The word for work here is, is the word for toil and to labor. We can't do anything without God first working in us, but He doesn't drag us behind Him. Like those cans you tie behind the just married car, you know, the ones you drive along, you're like behind the car. He doesn't do that with us and say, You're coming with me, and we're dragged along on the road. We cooperate with Him. And that's the consistent teaching of the Bible. Hebrews 12, strive for holiness. 1 Timothy 4, train yourselves in godliness. 1 Peter 5, make every effort. Because of what Jesus has done, make effort. It got me thinking, why is it so hard? Why don't I want to shine like a star in the world around me? Like I do, but I don't, because I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't keep working at it. Why don't I keep working at doing this? And are we too tired? Too stubborn? Uh, too, too lazy. I want God to do it all. For me, and I think for us all, it's often because we've lost sight of the majesty of Jesus. The very thing Paul has put before the Philippian church as he says to shine like stars, look at what Jesus has done. The creator of all things humbled himself by becoming creation, by becoming a servant, 
by dying in our place. And then God raised him to life and gave him the name that is above every name. Do you see what Jesus has done for you? As we stop and spend time marveling at our Creator, it reminds us of what we're here for and who He is and how we ought to live in response to that. He's coming back again to judge the living and the dead and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. If God's convicting you today, in some areas as you think through where you need to work out your salvation, don't ignore Don't be like, yeah, yeah, later. It's perfectly possible to have Him prod us and convict us, but we walk away and do nothing about it. So what is God prompting you to work on? Maybe write that question down. Maybe think through that this week. If He's calling you today to come to Him as King, if you've seen who He is and what He's done, then, then come. Say yes. Come toward Him and trust Him. See what He has done for you. Uh, pray to Him. Start relationship with Him. Come and chat with us uh, about what the next steps are. But don't ignore it. Paul encourages us as he encourages the Philippians. Keep going. Keep working, keep applying, keep living out the Word of God that radically reshapes your future. The key question then for us is, uh, this is point number two, what does it mean to shine? What does it mean to shine like stars in the world? I mean, for a star, it's pretty obvious, you just got to sparkle, you know? Is that what he's saying? We all need to sparkle like diamonds. Ladies, there's your opportunity, or men, to go out and say, I need more diamonds. Because the Bible says, shine like stars, I need diamonds, and that, that's the way to do it. Uh, please, well, you can do that, but... I don't think it's the best way to go. There might be better ways to use our funds than uh, carbon. But for a star, it's to, it's to radiate brilliance, isn't it? Brightness, light amidst a dark sky. For us to shine like a star is to, is to stand out against the, the, the background of a dark sky, the backdrop of a dark world. Paul describes the world we live in, not as like, oh, there's so many good things to enjoy. The people are kind of, we're all going really well. Humanity are great. You know, we've got things sorted. We do good things. We're generally loving to the world around us. No, he describes the world we're in, what we are like naturally as crooked and perverted generation. That's the generation that we're all from. The generation we constantly feel the, the pull to return to is, is a world that is crooked and perverted. It's crooked because it doesn't regard God as God. It, the world around us puts ourselves as God. And it's perverted because, as Paul says in Romans 1, the world around us, we've exchanged created things for the Creator. We worship the created things, the things that we've made, even crazier. I made it, yet I worship it. I live for my car. I live for my career. It's perverted when the God who gave us all those things, who made us, is standing there. And we go, nah, I think I'd rather do this thing. So Paul calls the Philippian church to stand out in the world of darkness. Not to run away from it or hide, but to shine in it. Now when you think about how we're to live differently, how we're to shine differently from the world around us, I mean, what does that look like? There's all sorts of positive things that kind of can come into our mind as Christians, things we've learned from the Bible, the idea of loving others. You think that's what it would look like, loving others. You know, what would Paul say shining like stars looks like? Is it, is it caring for the weak and the oppressed? Is it speaking the news of the gospel out into the world? And they're all things that the Scriptures hold out, but it's not what Paul picks on right here as the spot to press for us. 
We come to expect the Bible to speak on things like sexual ethics. Yes, make sure you live a pure life sexually. How we use our money. Jesus speaks about money lots in, in the Gospels. But it's not what Paul highlights as the problem as we shine in the world around us. Look at verse 14. Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless. Now, I need to be honest with you. My immediate reaction when I read that is to go, oh, are you serious? It's to grumble. Like I go, oh, I've got to not grumble? I want to grumble about not grumbling. We're to shine in the world around us by our tone, by not grumbling and arguing. And you feel that in yourself when things don't go as they ought. We just, we just love to grumble. We, we, we love to grumble. And that's the point that God's Word calls us out on. We are so often grumblers, complainers and argumentative. You know, something happens in our life, like, God, why do you have to do this? This sucks. I don't want to suffer. He's like, yeah, trust me. <laughs> what do you think is going to happen? Jesus died on the cross. He took the penalty for you. When it, uh, if Jesus suffered, you need to suffer. I'm making you to be more like me. You're like, whatever, that's dumb. You know, and, and you get frustrated or you, you grumble about it. In a sense, God's people have been grumblers from the beginning. Do, do you remember Exodus? The story of God bringing his people out of slavery in Egypt. 400 years they were in slavery in Egypt. God brought them out. There's plagues on the nation of Egypt. But they didn't touch the Israelites. Then they came to the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea. They cross on dry land. He brings the Red Sea back in on the enemy. And they're in the desert and they're like, oh man, I'm thirsty. This sucks. Let's go back to Egypt. And they complain and grumble to God. We need water to drink. Well, let's just go back and go back to slavery again like we were before. I know you just killed the army and all that sort of stuff, God, but I'm so thirsty. And then they're like, and I'm hungry. This stuff you've given us, this bread, this manna, whatever it is, that's no good. We had amazing steaks when we were in slavery under hard labor when we were in Egypt. How quickly we forget. How quickly we grumble. And arguing is no better. Arguing is, is saying, really, if I'm honest, I think I know what's right, not God, or not you. And Christians can be known, again, let's be honest, as some of the most arrogant and argumentative people. Can't we? There's these different views people hold, and it's like, no, 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 they're kind of grumpy and talk through this stuff. And if it's not that, then they're complaining about something at church or something their friend did. And you just see this picture, and you're like, that's not very shiny. That's not someone who is really so captured by what Jesus has done and the future that is coming. They're like, man, I'm living for him. I'm pouring out my life for him. Now, I'm not saying, Paul's not saying, don't speak the truth in love. No, no, no. We ought to speak the truth in love. But the way we do it is important here, without grumbling and argumentatively. We ought not to insist that we are right and others are wrong. So I'm going to you are so wrong on that. I want to hear them out and, and listen. We don't want to be arrogant in the way that we come across, but we still want to point to Jesus who is truth. When people say he isn't true, we say, yes, look at what the Scriptures say. Here's why I'm convinced. If we really trust the Word of God, what do we have to grumble about? Our future is secure. Jesus, the Creator of all things, died in your place and mine and paid the penalty for us so that we can stand before Him forgiven. Life Forever. We don't have anything to grumble about. Now, I do need to point out that, that grumbling isn't groaning. The Bible does talk about groaning, which is the real grief that we go through. Uh, like Paul says in Romans 1, that the creation groans, looking for the day that uh, humanity rule it rightly. 
it's trusting God, groaning. Groaning's going, man, this is hard. I trust you, God. Please carry me through it. I'm groaning until the day you come back. But, but grumbling is like, oh, this is stupid. I know better than you. If I were God, I'd do things very differently. I need to say that this week, I've been convicted of how much I grumble. How much kind of comes up that I'm like, oh, this is, this is silly, or I'm really frustrated with this. Uh, I just, and they've just been the things that have come out of my head. But there have been so many that the filter in my head has caught. Now, I know some of you go, do you really have a filter, Rowan? Um, I do. I do. Thankfully. But we need to be careful. We can just get ourselves in this way of thinking, of grumbling about the temperature of the room, the style of music at church, you know, the number of seconds gap between one section of the service and the next, uh, the language the preacher uses. Right? And that's just my list. They're the things that I find myself, how long was that between this bit and that bit? Why did that happen? Why is the sound not working properly? This is not right. And I'm kind of going all the time rather than going, what did God just say, Rowan? <laughs> we need to be careful about grumbling and arguing. I think it's a particular problem of people from a Reformed background as well, with a Reformed understanding of the faith. It can be absolute shockers in arguing. No, we're right, you're wrong. Unless you sign up to this confession of faith, you're not a Christian. What happened before 16 whenever? (laughs) And you didn't have that confession of faith. We can be shockers. I can be a shocker. We get so amazed at the amazing depth of the Scriptures and what God has shown us in it that we want to take out everyone else when they don't understand it, kind of cap them at the knees and go, oh, if you saw it this way, you'd be like this. Our example is Jesus. He didn't consider equality with God as something to be grasped after, even though he was. <laughs> he didn't kind of, all right, it's time to go to earth. Oh, stupid humans. Why do I have to do this? You know? He went, he was obedient to the point of death on a cross. Friends, Paul tells us that we ought to shine like stars in the sky by holding on to the word of God and not arguing and grumbling. Do you hear this? Imagine how bright a light we would shine if we didn't grumble and argue. If people at work knew us as people that were joyful about life, even through the, the hardships of life. Oh, we weren't kind of naive. We knew the ups that were there, but we just didn't argue and grumble about those things. I'm not saying we should imagine that the problems aren't there, but we can offer constructive, loving, sacrificial feedback to whoever's responsible for whatever the issues are, but then trust them that they'll hear that and make the best choices. Trust in the sovereignty of God. Have you ever come across people like that? People that don't grumble. There's just something about them that they just kind of shine out from around us. There's one person early on in my life that stood out for me. His name was Ron Wilson. Uh, he was a retired Presbyterian minister who um, some friends of my family had decided to move into his house as he hit the age of 80 because he needed help and they didn't want to put him in a home. He's this godly guy, single now. Um, and so they were, we're going to move into his house. We're going to sell our house. We're going to um, put a whole floor on top of his house so we can live here and look after him. And so we used to have some small group Bible studies at, at my friend's place. And occasionally Ron, in his 80s, would kind of just shuffle past the door of the lounge room and kind of poke his head in and would be like, oh, we've got a couple of questions about the passage. And he'd sit down on the chair and you'd ask a question and he'd just talk. And you'd just sit there and listen. 
He'd just absorb and, and, and soak up what he had learnt, not, not only to what he was saying, but the grace and the compassion and the generosity and the authority with which he said it. At 80, he was just so full of joy at who God was and what God had done that I'm like, I want to be like him now as well as when I'm 80. <laughs> One thing I've noticed in myself is that the older I get, the more I grumble. You recognize that? We get grumpier the older we are. Well, it's been my experience. But at 80, he just, he was so encouraging, so thankful. Sure, he had heaps of hardships in his life, health issues, hurt and pain that had gone on. It's like his eyes were focused on another plane. He, he was hanging out for that day when every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord. And he was going to use every ounce of energy he had to gener- generously and lovingly speak and see others grow in Jesus without complaining and grumbling. He just kept saying, yes, trust the word of God. Who is it for you? Who who are the role models in your life, the stars that have shone in your life? I'm not talking about the famous preachers and book authors, but just your average run-of-the-mill Christian who's put Jesus first and has put grumbling and argumentativeness away. Who is that? Maybe think through thanking God for them and thanking them for it if they're still around. It's stars like this that Paul wants us to emulate. And that's why in the next section of Philippians, he highlights three people that we need to emulate. Three people. Number one, Timothy. Look at verse 19. Now, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so I may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who would genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character, because he served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Do you say the servant-heartedness of Timothy? Paul here sends him. Uh, Timothy might never see Paul again. Paul's in prison. He's he's not sure whether he'll be executed or not. He says, don't stay here with me, this this person you've served, this long-term friend, this partner in gospel ministry that you've done so much with. Don't just stay here with me. Go to the people who need you. And Timothy goes knowing he might never see Paul again. He might not be by his bedside or his execution as he dies. But he's willing to go, to care for the church in Philippi. It's It's a genuine care about the interests of others. Sounds just like Jesus, doesn't it? No grumbling, no arguing. 800-mile journey back to Philippi. It wasn't the best of times when we were there. We got booted out a bit and, you know. But he just, sure, he's kind of ready. Not yet, doesn't get sent yet, but he's ready. Joyful, hearted service. And do notice, it's not just for the sake of the Philippians. What makes Timothy stand out like a star amongst those with Paul is that he puts others before himself, but not just the interests of others. It's the interests of Jesus. Look at verse 21. Paul says, All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So there's there's a fine distinction here. You can put others before yourself and be totally devoid of Jesus' interests. You can say, I'm going to put others before myself, but uh, Jesus, uh, I don't don't really give much for what he says and his plans and purposes. But Timothy recognizes what Jesus has done and because of Jesus then loves others. It flows from what Jesus has done and him putting Jesus before anyone else. We love others the way that God tells us to love others, for his plans and purposes. That's ultimately what's best for others. 
Because if we just say, I'm going to put others before me, when they say, right, I want you to do this, we're going to be people pleasers. Well, I'll do what they say. We're going to think through and be under the kind of burden of, I've got to do what they want in the way that's best for them. And we end up not loving them as God would want us to love them. No, we seek the interest of Jesus and therefore love others. Timothy shone because he was willing to go. And so did Epaphroditus. He's our second person. Look at verse 25. But I consider it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need, since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Now, Epaphroditus, Paph, as he was probably lovingly called, he's not a... He's not a big-name church planter. You don't get any books of the Bible. Timothy gets two books of the Bible written in his name. Paphroditus gets mentioned twice just in this letter, once here once in chapter 4. He's not kind of this amazing kind of church planter or this kind of um, huge star. He's this humble, loving servant. The word Epaphroditus, his name actually means lovely. How about that? He's sent with the gift the Philippian church brought together to Paul. So, so they're there. In, in those days, you can't just jump on your, in your app, on your bank app, and kind of do a transfer and send it across to Paul. Great, Paul's got it in prison. He's got the money that he needs now. They went, no, no, we've got to send this care package. We've got to send what Paul needs. And, and so they're there going, how do we take this money to Paul? Epaphroditus is from the Philippian church. It's probably where he was converted through Paul. He says, I'll go. I'll do the journey. I'll take it. He risks his life so Paul could get what he needed. He's the kind of humble guy that works tirelessly for the sake of the gospel. Nothing fancy, just dedicated, just kind of flying under the radar. The type of person that turns up early to set up the chairs or spends time for others, not for, for his gain, but for the good of others. Might take him out for a coffee uh, or just chat with, with someone to hear how their life is going and pours themselves out. He's, he's faithful and trustworthy because the gospel has captivated him. He sees this need from the church. And says, I'll, I'll go. I'll, I'll take the funds. I'll take the gift. No grumbling, no arguing. And the selflessness we hear of Epaphroditus. He's worried because he's heard that the Philippians heard that he was sick nearly to the point of death. So he was sick. He's not worried about his death. He was happy to die for the sake of taking this to Paul. But he's there and he's made it. But he's now heard that, that, he's, that his family back in his home church are worried about him. And so he's worried about them. He's like, I've got to get back so they're not worried anymore. He's so other person-centered. He's thinking about others rather than himself, and that's so different to often me. And my guess is you. And he did it all because of the work of the gospel that had captivated him. Because he'd been captured by who Jesus is and what he's done. He was eager to see this news go out, to see people bend the knee before Jesus before his return rather than after it. The third example we get of people shining like stars is actually Paul himself. The reason he writes this letter to the Philippians is for their sake. Look at verse 16. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing, but even if I'm poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. Paul just wants to see this Philippian church standing firm in Jesus to the end. Shining like stars to the end, till the day Jesus comes back. And he's happy to pour out whatever he can. So he says to them, hold on, I want to be with you in eternity. 
I'd love to be with you now and I hope to come back, but that's what matters. And so all he does, all he works towards is to see them stand firm in Christ to the end, pouring himself out like a drink offering, like his saviour. You look at Paul and you're amazed. But it's not only that. You see it in him sending Timothy. So Timothy's been with Paul throughout the journey, the missionary journey through Philippi, sharing the gospel. Church has been started. These guys are side by side. But Paul says, it's better for you to go than to stay here with me. I'd imagine that if I was facing execution, I just want some friends around. Some people that know me and that love me and have walked, worked alongside me to keep saying to me, Rowan, keep serving Jesus, hold on to the end, keep trusting him. Paul sends his best co-worker and says, no, go back to them. He sends them, him away. One of the greatest joys of my job as a pastor here at EV is that I get to hear and see so many of the selfless acts of our church. Now, there's way more that I don't see. But I hear stories of people dropping off meals, of people fixing someone else's plumbing. Stories of people just grabbing a coffee with, with someone who's going through a hard time and helping them come back to the Word of God. I hear stories of people uh, offering money to see apprentices trained up and people sacrificing their bonuses so that the gospel can go out and giving so the news of Jesus would reach people in this city and this country. I get to see that. And it's so exciting. Hear the encouragement from Paul and the Philippians uh, to us. Paul is saying in this letter, keep going. Keep shining like stars in this dark world. As we aim to plant a, a, a campus in Auckland sometime, God willing, next year, we're still working out where. But like Paul, we'll send those that we love. There'll be people that will go from our congregation here uh, and, and connect groups will kind of multiply and some will lead other connect groups and will we'll grieve the loss of not seeing some people uh, for, for some time because they've gone to see a church plant out west or, or north or south. There'll be real costs to the reality of shining like stars in the world. We'll grieve as, as we send out our best. We grieve as we think through sending out Lachlan and Candy to see them train and equip others to do the same but because of the gospel, because of the future. As a church, we need a church building. We can't really grow anymore in this building. Our, our contract's up for renewal. Uh, I've got a meeting in two weeks' time. I don't know what the outcome of that will be. I don't know what the school will say, whether they want us to stay or not. I'm hoping that we can. But we need a building that we can be training and equipping people from. Our, our staff team, we're discussing it this week and just talking about the things that we're keen to see happen but we can't do. As we think about baptism and how we can do that and the problems with that, we're trying to work out where and how and how we can make it work well. Now, the only reason we'd get a building is if it would call, cause more gospel growth. And not having one now is, is literally limiting our growth. Uh, we don't have the rooms for the kids that we need. We, we want to send people out. And we've been trying to find a building, but we, we're going to need to sacrifice. We're going to need to keep sacrificing. We're training up workers. We're sending them out. Uh, last year, we launched our, our 2030 vision. If you didn't get one of the booklets, uh, there's one here in my back pocket I prepared earlier, um, that you can grab from the bookstore. They're free. and Have a look at um, what our vision is for the next uh, 10 years as we think through where we'd love to be praying and asking God to grow us. There's four big prayers that it talks through. One is to grow us by two, to 2,030 people by the year 2030. We want to see people come to know Christ, not just one congregation, but spread out over six campuses across Auckland. 
to plant another four local campuses and another four churches across New Zealand, to train 30 full-time gospel workers and to build a gospel training hub. They're the four big prayers we're asking God to do. And all this requires sacrifice, like Epaphroditus, like Timothy, like Paul. Sacrifice from me, from your pastors, from each other. But it's a joyful sacrifice. It's the, it's the best investment of time and money and energy that we can give. So can I ask you, as you think through what Paul has done as this call to stand and shine like stars in the world, to commit to praying for these four big prayers, for the sake of the kingdom, not for the sake of EV. Who cares about our name? It's Jesus' name we want proclaimed. To commit to praying for them and thinking through, what do I need to do? What can I give? How can I serve in my time and my expertise and my intellect and my service, my finances and my love? How can I pour myself out for the good of Auckland, New Zealand and the world? And to commit to say, I want to, I want to be part of this vision, part of this picture for the next 10 years and see, yeah, I'd love to be at least praying for it and, and coming alongside and seeing it happen to plug in, to, to read your Bible and get God's Word shaping you, to come to church and let, let one another build one another up, to get into a connect group if you're not in one, to stay in one if you're there, to be praying for your non-Christian friends, to, to get plugged into ministry and, and, and serve. In the words of Paul, shine like stars in this world. One of the questions I've always had about our universe is why did God make it so big? Why? Jesus came to earth. We're just one little planet. Why, why is it so vast? Why are there so many galaxies? Why did he have to make it that big? Do you know the furthest star that we can see is around 16,000 light years away? Scientists tell us. 16,000 light years. It takes 16,000 years traveling at the speed of light to get to that star. Yet we can still see it with the human eye. Why did God make it so big? <laughs> Here's my conclusion. So he can say, be like that. In a world that is so vast and dark and big and scary and all-encompassing, he can say, shine like a star. Compared to the eternity we get to share with our great God, if we trust in Jesus' death now, the moment Jesus returns or we close our eyes in death, 16,000 years will seem like nothing to us. And shining like a star through the hardships of life will, will bring us great joy both now and in eternity to come. So Paul says, Evie, Philippians, Evie, shine like stars in the world with joy for his glory. Let's pray. Lord God, it is so exciting to see what you are doing in your world. To know that the future is secure because of Jesus and to be caught up in shining like stars. We confess that so often we don't shine, that we grumble about life, about circumstances, we argue about things that it need not be argued about. We don't seek to live for you and to let your view of the world shape us. We're sorry. Please place Jesus front and center in our lives so that we might be more and more captivated by him. Help us to live for the king who is king and who will come back and everyone will see him as king. And so to live in your world like stars, help us to pour ourselves out, to live for you in all we do. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. 
So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.